Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And with us today is our special guest, Virginia Shanley, here to discuss her new book, Big Thrift Energy, a title which immediately attracted our attention. (laughs) It was hard to miss. (laughs) Hello, Virginia. Hi, thanks so much for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming on. So where did your journey into thrifting, vintage, and antiques begin? Oh, I got really into vintage from a very young age. I was raised by my grandmother. She was a single mom. I was an only child. So you know how that goes. We kind of spent probably too much time together. And she started a business when I was really, really young, buying and selling containers of furniture. So these were containers of furniture that were new. They had just been lost in transit, you know, on their way somewhere nicer than Jacksonville, Florida, which is where we lived. So on their way to New York or something like that. And she would basically buy them sight unseen, just knowing like what brand the furniture was and flip them. So she would have these parties on our lawn, almost like Tupperware parties, but it was, you know, armoires and bed frames and all these things. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah, it was really brilliant, especially because this was the 90s, right? So this was kind of the beginnings of the shabby chic thing, which hadn't quite hit Jacksonville. So she was buying these pieces of furniture that were like heading to, you know, these boutiques in New York and stuff. And so people went nuts over it. And it it was so successful that she decided to turn it into a business. So she turned basically our living room into a store and she was buying these containers like once every few months. And she wanted to make it more of a store experience, but obviously the containers only had furniture. So she started going to thrift stores and antique malls and things like that to find accessories to sort of mix in. And she just had a real knack for finding, you know, designer pieces and original pieces of art and all these kind of extraordinary things that you don't expect to find at a thrift or antique mall. And that's just kind of, you know, it flourished from there. Uh, She eventually actually moved the store into an antique gallery. And so I would go to the antiques gallery every day after school. She had like three or four booths in there that was all her stuff. And then she turned it into a brick and mortar later. But I grew up, you know, going to estate sales and antique smalls and finding furniture on the side of the road. And I think I was probably kicking and screaming at the time. <laughs> but when when I got older and I got my first apartment, it was like, oh, yeah, well, I'll just go to the thrift store to get, you know, my couch and all that stuff. It turns out I've been training my whole life for this moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm so ready. (laughs) That's really fun. That's like a family tradition. Yeah, totally. I was like a Venus Williams of thrifting. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's the fun thing about antiques. You know, it's such a bonding moment. And obviously you're finding old things with a history, but you're sort of creating these new memories too. And unfortunately, my grandmother passed away a couple of years ago. But it's still something that every time I go out, thrifting and and i always see things that sort of make me think of her oh what a wonderful way to keep her memory yeah, alive that's a really sweet like enduring bond to have yeah yeah definitely i i actually dedicated the book to her but she you know just had like the coolest style and i think when i tell people you know i used to go thrifting and antiquing with my grandmother they have this idea that it's like old quilts and clown paint by numbers paintings <laughs> that we were finding which is fine. Like, if that's your jam, that's fine, too. But she was finding, you know, like, Chanel bags and Christian Dior jackets, and like, really amazing pieces of art and things. So that's one thing I do really appreciate about the book is, um, like you said, a lot of people have this immediate impression when someone says, I've been antiquing, I've been thrifting. I think everyone immediately imagines the, like, white and blue wear porcelain. Yeah, totally. 
Totally. Like the grandma white and blue wear. And in your book, I think is absolutely like a, hey, it could be anything you want. Like, check out what I've done. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the fun thing about it because so much of what we see now new at new stores is rooted in something old. And that goes for, you know, whether it's boho or modern or whatever. I mean, all of these design styles we've seen in history. So you can kind of find anything when you're shopping for antiques. Absolutely. It's fun to see the vision modernized. I'm excited. Yeah. Gotta get the kids involved. Speaking of modernization, what brought your love of antiques, love of vintage, love of thrifting into the digital age with your Instagram? Was that just like a natural progression of life or? Yeah, I think it was just a natural progression of life. I was recently looking back at my old Instagrams and scrolled way back to my very first image ever, which I think I posted before I even realized Instagram, like other people could see it. I think I first thought <laughs> Instagram was like a editing app. You remember when it like first yes. was a thing? When you just put a photo in there to get the filter on it and then post it somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. And it was like such a bad filter. <laughs> but so my first photo was actually my grandmother and we're Aww. at a habitat restore it's a terrible picture i mean you can't even see her she's like squatting on the ground and grabbing some like weird object in her hand so yeah i just started immediately on instagram posting photos of stuff i found and then i bought a house my first house probably within those first few years of instagram and, and so i would always share you know how i was redecorating it the home was really old it was like 100 years old that really resonated with people and especially when i would share you know pieces i found at, at the thrift store and antique malls i think people were like whoa you got that where <laughs> and then eventually i started selling my finds not all of them but sort of some of them to sort of offload and keep up with my habit, I guess, because I only had so much space. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think people on Instagram, like you said, they were just kind of surprised at some of the things I found because they were expecting thrift stores to be full of, you know, old antique things. And they don't realize that actually you can find mid-century modern and the stuff you see at West Elm, but like the original version. They've got every time period from yesterday and beyond. <laughs> exactly. And it's crazy to me because especially I'd say, I mean, I pitched this book like two years ago. I'd say in the past two years, I've just seen it even get crazier, like the world of thrifting. And now TikTok is such a thing and people are posting what they buy and sell on Depop or, you know, websites like that, Mercari. I notice when I go to the thrift store, there's all these like Gen Z kids oh, yeah. in there, you know, <laughs> finding like 90s and 2000s Tommy Hilfiger <laughs> shirts. So I really do think there's something. And with full respect to them, they're obvious. <laughs> right. <laughs> No. The number of times I think I've been in the background of someone's TikTok video. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Same. A friend of ours works at a local vintage shop and they had a bunch of Gen Z kids come in asking for turn of the century clothes. And the owner was like, oh yeah, we've got some like Victorian Edwardian stuff like in oh, the way no. back in these carts. <laughs> and the kids were like, no, 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 we mean like 2000. <laughs> Y2K. And I was like, oh, you mean turn of the millennium? I can't believe kids are calling it the turn of the century. Wow. Two, this time, it's the millennium. Too funny. Oh my god. Love kids getting into this hobby. 
But yeah, so what inspired you to pitch this as a book? I think when I started sharing on Instagram the things I found and sort of how I styled them, I was noticing that I was getting a lot of questions either asking where I got something or how I knew it was quote unquote good. But I was also getting an equal amount of comments saying, you know, oh, that's really great that you found that, but I can't find anything like that. Our thrift stores aren't good. And it's like, eh, I mean, I live in Jacksonville, Florida. I kind of think you can find <laughs> something anywhere. Yeah. I actually just went on a road trip up to New Hampshire and back and stopped at thrift stores all along the way. And it's true. I mean, there are treasures to be found everywhere. I think you just kind of have to know how to look. And so I was always answering these questions on Instagram and sort of giving people tips and tricks. And I thought like somebody should really write a book about this. And I happen to be a writer. Um, I, that's my day job. I, I work for People Magazine. So I thought, well, I guess I can just try my hand at it and um, pitch the book and the rest is sort of history or the current time period, I guess, because now the book is out and I'm, you know, talking all about it. Heck yeah. I think one of my favorite threads running through the whole book is just the emphasis on finding your own voice when it comes to picking pieces out and like really getting to what is your own style. How did you find your particular stylistic voice? Well, I think some of it came from my grandmother for sure. I mean, she was very into folk art and really kind of weird stuff, which is something I also write about in the book. You know, anything that's just like a big paper mache frog or just something that has no business being in your living room like if I see something like that I immediately want it something you've never seen before or since better snap it up yes exactly but I also think it's trial and error I mean when I I think especially with Instagram and social media I often will see other you know vintage collectors or I follow a lot of vintage dealers and it's really tempting when I go out shopping to buy what they have or even like something that I've seen an influencer has it's so tempting for me to, you know, match that up. Like, oh, well, Athena Calderon has this chair in her living room, so maybe I should buy this. But at the end of the day, it's like, you got to buy it for yourself and it has to be something that you'd be happy living with and that makes sense for you. So Absolutely. I think that's really important. Otherwise, we just end up with a ton of clutter in our homes and we're just kind of amplifying the problem. <laughs> yeah, I super appreciate it because I think, especially with kind of the internet getting involved and getting people involved in this as like a hobby slash business, I think the tendency to just sort of follow what people are telling you is very strong. Yeah. And that can lead to bad collecting habits. Totally. Because I see a lot of TikToks that are kind of do buy this, don't buy that. Which first of all, who are you to tell me? Which like, yeah, which like, first <laughs> hey. of all, you're not my, you're not my dad. Like, you're not my dad. You can't tell me not to. And I think it stifles... I think it leads to that sort of hoarding mentality where you're like, oh, I've got to get this because the guy on TikTok said it was valuable. And I got to get this other thing. And then you don't develop a voice. And I think it's harder to learn and keep your house clean. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's just, I mean, it leads to sort of a boring aesthetic, right? Like I go on Instagram and so many of the influencers, even people that I, I love and enjoy following, like it all kind of looks the same and blends yeah. together. And I just feel like, you know, we should all just do our own thing. And I totally agree with what you're saying about editing. I think that's, you know, obviously, since I'm a writer, I know firsthand the importance of editing. And it's so true with shopping, too. Like, I think that is the biggest skill you can learn. As a writer, it's brevity. And as, you know, a shopper and vintage collector, it's like really narrowing focus and sort of perfecting your buy so you're only collecting those pieces that are really really special and that you'll love years down the line absolutely 
even if you're like planning to resell, one of the things we've always said is like, don't stock things you wouldn't be happy living with. Cause like, if it doesn't sell, totally, you're stuck it's, with it. It's with you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think of that all the time. Like, I think in the book, I mentioned this, but my buyer is me, you know, at the end of the day, I'm buying for myself, even if it's something that I might sell, I know that nine times out of 10, I mean, <laughs> I will probably have to live with it for at least a, a while, sometimes forever. So um, yeah, I totally agree with that. For sure. In my younger years, God, I sound old. Um, <laughs> I was very like Victoria Magazine. Right. I love the chintz. I love the drapes. But honestly, like looking at some of the images and the idea that like, what if you just found something extremely weird and you said, huh, that shouldn't be in my living room, but you put it there. Right. And I was just like brain explosion moment. Like that's genius. I'm going to buy the next really messed up thing I see and put it in my room. Good. I can't wait. You say that when you already own several jarred organs and a Victorian <laughs> rib spreader. So the idea of what you will find that is quote unquote extremely messed up. I am... <laughs> Eager to see what you come up with. <laughs> I, I'm not like a messed up. Like, I mean, that, that sounds judgmental. It's not. It's just that like the ability to get something big and bold and unusual and mm -hmm. say like, this is a part of the design now, I think is very new to me. And I like it. Yes. Yeah. Especially if it fits inside the ribs brother. <laughs> I did think about getting a little fake skeleton to put all of my surgical implements on display. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone could see, because every time I show someone, they're like, well, what does this do? And then I explain it. And like, this would be so much easier to just grab a snapshot. I'm like, well, this does this. Perfect. Speaking of medical oddities and antiques, that death mask you have in your book, it is absolutely beautiful. How oh, did yeah. you come by that? Yes. I got that at an estate sale and it was just kind of a sad time in my life. My grandmother had just died like a few months before, maybe two or something. And I saw it and it just made me, so, I mean, I'm sure you guys are similar. Sometimes estate sales make me so sad yes. because- the family is selling or in some cases giving away things that no one else would really want, like a diploma or a business book or like, you know, a boss trophy or something. And it's like, that was your family members. So it was the last day of the estate sale. I think everything was 50% off. And that's where I found the death mask. And it was one of those things that I think nobody wanted to go near it because they had on it, you know, death mask. So I think people were kind of freaked out by that or whatever. So, uh, you know, of course, I was like, uh, sign me up. That's what I want. Um, and yeah, I love it. I am actually looking at it right now. And what, a, what an incredible find. Even like there are some oddities collectors who are like losing their minds looking at that, like going like, God, I wish I could find one. Right. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just really beautiful too. Even if you don't necessarily know what it is at first glance, it just kind of looks like a, you know, sculpture or something. It's got a certain regality to it and also like a minimalist understatement that kind of forces you to confront it, but in a beautiful way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, very modern art. Another thing that I was really fascinated by, I was really interested to see the opinions and like etiquettes and suggestions from someone from a different region of the country. Yes, the suggestions for flea market, antique shop, and estate sale etiquette were wild to us, born and raised in the Northeast, because we just don't talk to people here. Absolutely not. <laughs> <It's> not um, <laughs> that's not a thing that happens. A lot. I've noticed, that, like, when I was reading it, I noticed that a lot of my suggestions from, you know, coming from my point of view are always about, like, reducing hostility. Yes. And... <laughs> 
an assumption that if you approach someone, they will be angry at you for approaching them. <laughs> which, which and you need wrong. to then mitigate that in order to make a sale happen. So, like, yeah, reading your suggestions, it was really unique and it gave me a lot of insight. Um, if I ever end up in the South, I'll be able to comport myself much more politely. Yes. <laughs> well, I think, you know, in the South, like, the aggression and hostility is still there. It's just under, like, syrupy layers of congeniality. Mm, yes. So <laughs> you have to make friends and then stab them in the back later, I guess, when you elbow them out of the way to get your death mask. Yes. Which, which, see, like, I'm glad I know that now because I would be completely unprepared for that otherwise. I would be like, wow, everyone's so nice and get stabbed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, no. Have you noticed a difference in etiquette as you thrift around the country? Yeah, well, I mean, I, when we were just up north in New Hampshire, I mean, it's just a totally different scene, I would say. You know, the thrift stores we were at anyway in Grantham, New Hampshire, which is a pretty small area. They were just a lot smaller, a lot less merchandise. There was one that was near Dartmouth College, and that one was full of college students who knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> so that one was a little bit different. One thing that I found interesting about being up there is I gave a talk at a bookstore, and some of the people in the audience were kind of shocked by the things I was saying about estate sales. Like, I don't know what the estate sale scene is like where you all are, but. Um, down here, I mean, there's a pretty tried and true system of getting on a list and waiting in a really long line. And, you know, you sort of get to know the local estate sale companies. And when I was speaking in New Hampshire, the audience seemed totally shocked by this. And they were saying, like, no, estate sales, you just kind of go in. And I was that person as well when I read that part. I was just like, I have never heard of this before. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I got online and looked it up and like, and yes, outside of the East Coast, that is the norm. Where here, it is very free-for-all. It is very, you go in amidst everyone else, and if someone tries to fist fight you, well, so be it. Right. If someone <laughs> tries to take items out of your hand as you're attempting to purchase them, you know. Right. And that's not even just, like, a joke. Like, I've had that happen multiple times. Uh -huh. the, oh, yeah. The level of, like, defensive shopping you have to do, because there there is no, like, list. There's no time sets. There's no lines. You're just, yeah. you're just fighting. Well, I will say, I mean, even with the list i have definitely been in situations like that oh, as well yeah. um even if i'm like number one on the list and i rent something first there will be people like you know chomping at the bit but i mean all i can figure is well especially in florida obviously we have a lot of estate sales here you know we have a pretty old population and it's a transplant state and people are moving in and moving out that kind of thing but the estate sale scene is pretty, I mean, vicious here too. I think it's just, at least if you can get on the list, you know, you might get something. <laughs> yeah. Vicious yet organized. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just very surprised at that level of organization because like I had never participated in it that way before. <laughs> yeah, I think the crazy thing though is that some of them have different rules than others. I wish there was just like one standard. You know, there was an estate sale yesterday where you had to get there at 10. Well, you had to line up by 10 and then they were giving out numbers at 10 and then you came back at 11 to line up in the order of whatever number you received, right? So huh. it's like there's a list, but not really. <laughs> you still have to wait in line. Yeah, it's more of a deli line. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> there is, but there isn't, but there is. Yeah, so I like the, the estate sales where there's a list and it's like put on the door the night before. That way you can sort of plan ahead and know, okay, well, I'm like 50 on the list, so maybe it's not 
not even worth me going because I'm not going to get anything good. Or, you know, maybe I'm three on the list, in which case I'll definitely be there. Absolutely. That's another thing I'm kind of interested in. Um, You mentioned that, you know, you went to this place in New Hampshire where it kind of seemed like everyone knew what they were doing. Is that sort of like overcrowding or like overcompetition thing something that you don't see as much down like near to Florida? It depends where you go. I've noticed in certainly in bigger cities or college towns, like I said, in that particular instance, I was near Dartmouth College and it seemed like they were really interested in like clothing, probably to sell on Depop or maybe just to wear themselves. I don't know. But similarly in bigger cities, like I go thrifting a lot in Atlanta. Um, we went thrifting in Charlotte. It And when I was in Charlotte, it seemed like every person in the Goodwill was like an antiques dealer. <laughs> That's just the vibe I got. Like, they all seemed to know exactly what they were doing. Kind of everyone was sizing up everybody else's cart. <laughs> God, I know that feeling. <laughs> we do see a lot of uh, friendly faces at our local thrift stores. There was a period of time where I didn't go because I was so tired of running into other dealers. Yeah. <laughs> and like half the time I am there to buy household necessities that I do not like purchasing new. So getting like sized up while I'm getting cookie sheets was so irritating to me. Which is how I ended up going, <laughs> I now drive 40 minutes out of my way <laughs> to the one down the Cape. But the one down the Cape is adjacent to a significantly wealthier neighborhood. So the fines there. They're remarkable. <laughs> do, you, do you guys find that? Because I kind of find the opposite in Jacksonville, at least. Really? Well, you know, there's a beach here, right? So the beach is that's where the, you know, probably wealthiest people live. And the thrift stores at the beach are really overpriced. In my opinion, they're a lot, the items are a lot newer. And I think it's because there's not as much history there. Whereas parts of the city that were maybe, you know, people were living in the 50s or 60s, I found way better stuff there. And it's, you know, much less expensive. The thrift stores don't seem to know what they have over there. Interesting. Maybe it's like a hyper-regional thing because the Cape is a very tailored experience and very high ticket. So there aren't a lot of thrift shops on the Cape, which is, I've always found very strange. But there are a lot of high-end antiques boutiques. Yeah. So I I think that I have more luck if I start skimming around like the city's kind of on the edge of the Cape because that's just like the place the thrift stores are. So everyone just dumps their refuse there when they leave at the end of the summer. And I do find nice stuff. And do you go at a particular time? I go as late as possible. And I really like hanging around right about now, September, October, when the summer families are moving out. Yeah. Or even just refreshing their houses. Right. True, and spring yeah. is also right before summer starts. You get the same thing. They're redecorating. They throw out their old stuff. I snap it up. The other thing I have noticed with the wealthy neighborhood thrift store versus the working man thrift store is that the wealthy neighborhood thrift store tends to have a lot more fake designer purses behind glass <laughs> oh my gosh totally <laughs> and just so much more new stuff like not even bad new stuff but like pottery barn you yeah. know from five years ago <laughs> ethan allen ray dunn <laughs> yeah like stuff that's not really what i'm looking for the number of people who came into the antiques shop trying to sell their old ethan allen painful deeply painful and not like the early 20th century ethan allen when it would actually be vintage but like 1990s ethan allen yeah hurts <laughs> Now, when you do these cross-country thrifting trips, how do you get everything back and also fit yourself in the vehicle to get home? <laughs> yeah, well, this trip was interesting because it was my niece, 
my boyfriend, my mom, and our two dogs. Oh, wow. And the dog cages. Yeah. We were on the road for like over a month. Oh, wow. So I really could only bring home smalls and art, which I stacked, you know, upside down in the back. I, in the past, have done things like if I find a really amazing piece of art and it's framed, I will just take it out of the frame and then like donate the frame back to a thrift store. That way I can roll it. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I've I've rented U-Hauls before. Um, I have an SUV, so I can fit kind of a lot if it's just me or just me and my boyfriend. But yeah, the dog is definitely yeah. <laughs> kind of getting away of that. Do you have any advice for people who want to get into buying art but are too afraid to try? Yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice is to buy what you love. I think art is something that's very, very personal. And me, especially, I buy weird art that not everyone else would like. I also think it's important to think outside the box. You know, different things can be art. So I got a really great Joni Mitchell songbook. And Joni Mitchell obviously was, you know, a musical artist, but she also painted and did these fun drawings. And so the songbook has some of her drawings on top of some of her music. And my plan is to take the pages out and frame them. I mean, there's, you know, probably 50 pages in this book with these beautiful pieces of art on it. So, you know, even that can be art and that could be a whole wall, you know, like 12 of those pieces in, in identical frames. That could be art. You could find some really interesting piece of driftwood and mount it and that could be art your rib spreader (laughs) that, you know, that sounds sculptural to me. So I think uh, it's all about sort of, you know, just following what you like. And then, you know, doing some research too. I mean, if you see something that catches your eye at a thrift store or estate sale or whatever, and you are able to make out the signature, which is not always easy, then certainly you can, you know, look up that artist and see if there are any other artists like that person websites like Cherish and First Dibs usually do a pretty good job of sort of showing you, you know, oh, you liked this item, maybe you'd like this one. And that can give you an idea for, you know, what your aesthetic is, I guess. Absolutely. That's a great suggestion. Circling back to the songbook with illustrations and just kind of repurposing that as wall art, that is something we see a lot with people buying vintage and antique books that are beyond repair because they're often beautifully illustrated. Yeah. So the book might not be salvageable, but the illustrations are. So you can just take those out slap them on the wall yeah yeah i mean i've seen you know people this isn't something you would thrift but you know if you go to a great restaurant and you love the food and they have a cute menu or you find a cute matchbox i've seen people frame that as well so certainly and it's so easy now too i mean there's companies like framebridge and simply framed that are not super super expensive to just send something small in and get it framed yeah i really like the idea to take the frame out and roll up a piece of art is also just very smart (laughs) you're opening my eyes to a lot of stuff because i'm a frame buyer so like i had never in my life considered throwing a frame out because that's what i buy them for but like 90 percent of the time when you're buying art that's getting reframed anyway yeah so that's like a really that's a really good approach especially if you're traveling yeah and that's a good point too i mean people who are interested in collecting art i think it's so important to try to think of what the art would look like in a different frame or out of the frame altogether if it's you know on canvas because sometimes it's really difficult to see the forest for the trees, you know, when you're thrifting, like 
you see a really great couch, but it's in a really ugly color and it's hard to imagine what it might look like reupholstered. I think similarly with art, some of the vintage frames are just not cute, <laughs> you know, or they're like really brass plated and the matting. It's like, what is this weird matting? Why did they do this? You like can't even see the painting. So I think it's important <laughs> to almost like, you know, be able to cut and paste in your head and think of what it might look like if it was styled in a different way or just hung in a different frame. Just kind of liberate it from context and rehome it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, which it's really important because a lot of people have done very bad frame jobs on nice art. <laughs> I know. Why? And the matting. Good lord, you're completely correct. That drives me nuts. I don't know <laughs> what happened, but I, there was a period in history where people were obsessed with having the matting dwarf the picture. Yeah. <laughs> and be in like a competing color for some reason. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I would like to talk about some of your all-time favorite finds from the book, particularly that trunk, because, <laughs> yes, what a story. Yeah, the trunk. I always joke that I'll live inside the trunk one day if everything goes bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a worse place, honestly. Uh, seriously. It's a nice trunk. <laughs> I know. Um, so the trunk, it was a really funny day because my I was with my grandmother and we had been to estate sales that morning and we actually had a lot of luck. And I feel like, I mean, I'm not really a superstitious person, but I think we were both like, well, we just got all this great stuff. Let's head it on home. So we weren't really planning to stop anywhere. And then we got stuck in traffic and we saw this little shop on the side of the road and the sign said Old Wicker, Ooh. which was not necessarily something that we were like in the market for, but you know, we were literally just like stuck in, in bumper to bumper traffic. So we just pulled the car in and went in. And it was a cute little shop. It was kind of a, it wasn't like a fancy antiques gallery by any means, but it was, I guess, a consignment store. I know that the, the woman had bought the trunk on consignment or someone had sold it to her, which is crazy to think that she actually made a profit on this trunk. But um, <laughs> we didn't see anything in the store. And she said, uh, make sure you check out the shed out back before you leave. And so we went outside and we went in the shed and turned the corner and I saw the trunk and I audibly gasped. <laughs> And my grandmother like knew by my reaction that I had seen something really good. And so she was like, okay, be quiet because people are going to hear you and they're going to like know whatever you're looking at is good. The advice that is hardest to follow. Don't get excited out loud. Yes, when you're excited. I know. But I, I walked over and it's the tag said old trunk, $95. And so immediately I was like, what is going on? Obviously it's not real because why would it be $95? This is a Goyard <laughs> trunk. I mean, it was covered in the logo. And then when I got closer, I could see it has these little metal plates on all four sides that have the address in Paris. Um, when you open it up, there's like ribbons that say Goyard inside and there's drawers and little compartments to put your jewelry. But she was like, just don't even question it. Like we're putting it in the car and we're buying it. <laughs> And so we, you know, I asked the woman behind the counter, like, where did this come from? And she said, oh, this lady found it in her attic and she came and sold it to me. I know. And oh, my God, my grandmother and I were like, wait, where does the woman live? Do you know her name? Because I can't even imagine. Does she own any other trunks? Yes. Like, what else is in the attic? 
So yeah, we bought it and I brought it home and I paid to have it authenticated. And I, I realized it is indeed real. And we went back probably a month later to go talk to the woman again and the store didn't exist anymore. It's now like Whoa. a beer, a beer hall. I know, I'm, I'm always like, I think maybe I imagined the whole thing. The Brigadoon of Antiques. Oh my God, you got Brigadooned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a not evil needful things. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely, definitely one of my best. Still holding out for a Birkin, though. Oh, man, if only. <laughs> now, if there is one thing people take away from your book when they read it, what is that one thing you hope they learn from it? Oh, I just want them to be really excited about shopping for vintage and decorating their homes. You guys touched on this earlier, but we are just inundated with messaging from influencers and designers saying, you know, buy this, don't buy that. This is the color of the season. This is what's trending. And I love following trends as much as the next person. And they certainly inform some of what I buy. But at the end of the day, I think certainly in the past couple of years, we've learned that our homes should just make us really, really happy. And they should be a place that we can decorate with reckless abandon if we want, if we want a paper mache frog or a Goyard trunk or a death mask or a rib spreader. <laughs> Whatever we want, I think we should feel all those at the same time. Free. All of them at the same time. Even better, because I'm a maximalist. I'm putting the death mask on the frog. What? No. What? No. And putting it in the ribs. Yes. <laughs> no. And then the trunk can go around it. Yeah. Oh, now it's I'm in the trunk. <laughs> now it's assemblage art. It's the turducken of antiques. There we go. <laughs> turducken your house. <laughs> You know, I did take a class on installations. I could just go all the way with that. Oh, you could? Do it. All my surgical supplies on fishing wire from the ceiling. No. <laughs> that sounds really dangerous. <laughs> so many danger. I have already almost killed myself twice with a corpse drainer. Yeah, don't. Oh my God. Maybe, maybe we put that one in like a glass fronted drawer or something, like the specimens at the museum. Like maybe we just. I'm in a cardboard box now so that it can't hurt me. Can we put it behind glass, maybe? Just maybe. Oh no. There, I found the limit. It has to be safe. <laughs> Sounds like it's not. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Virginia. This has been wonderful. If people want to pick up your book or check out your Instagram or even perhaps purchase some unique vintage and antique finds, where can they find you? I am at the Shamley, V-C-H-A-M-L-E-E -E, on Instagram. And you can purchase my book by going to bigthriftenergy.com. It's also available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. And I sell all my vintage stuff on Cherish and that Virginia Shamley Vintage on there. Fantastic. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. And thank you for opening my eyes to new design types. Oh, thank you for opening my eyes to <laughs> surgical supplies and, and the feeling. Aw, thank you. <laughs> if you would like to suggest episode topics or just say hello, you can email us directly, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you would like to listen to deleted scenes or listen to our special bonus episode presentation of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire, you can hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. Au revoir!